Well, I'll introduce myself by saying I'm one of the underqualified. My wife Carol and I have been a part of IPC six, seven years, and you probably see me, some of you will see me engaged in the Wednesday afternoon life group when it starts up, and a little bit to do with Oasis when it begins again. Hope, can I give you a sneak preview? Hopefully, you won't have to ask this later, but hopefully December, pray for that. We haven't made it firm, but maybe December we'll be starting Oasis up. So we'll let you know more of that in the future. I am a retired United Church minister, and this church has been gracious enough to let one of these underqualified people come up here. The last couple of times I've been here, it's either been to open the doors after COVID or close the doors for the next COVID. So I hope it's not open or closing doors today. But before I begin, can we pray, please? Let's pray. God, what a privilege it is to come to worship, to know that when we gather in this place, that wherever two or three are gathered, that you are in our midst. And so we thank you that, that you're here. Teach us this morning, Lord, something from your word. May each of us go out of here knowing that you have qualified us to be your disciples, to be people who proclaim the good news about the kingdom in our lives throughout this week and all of our days. So bless us now as we listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we know um, from all of the biblical records and what we've already heard so far from Pastor Mike in, in the sermons that he has chosen, Jesus chose some very unqualified people to, uh, to follow him, to be his disciples. And as I get ready, got ready to talk about this one this morning, this underqualified guy gets the one who's on the bottom of the list, Judas Iscariot. And like many of the other apostles, there is really very little that is known about Judas. But if there is one thing that I've found to be... Uh, most uh, be true about Judas is that he is one of the most misunderstood people in the Bible and also to some people a most unsavory character. For whenever the name Judas Iscariot is spoken, we always get a dark, sinister image of the guy. You know, he's the villain in the story. The one who betrayed Jesus. The one guy who really messed up. In his book, Twelve Ordinary Men by John MacArthur, and it's the book that Pastor Mike has used to take us through the series this summer. But in his chapter on Judas, MacArthur begins with a very, very negative description. He calls him the most notorious and universally scorned of all the disciples. He is the most colossal failure in all of human history, according to John MacArthur. But that's not how life started for Judas. Like every one of us, I believe that Judas had a great start in life. So I'd like us to take a step back for a moment and attempt to picture life from the start. 
when life began for Judas in the Iscariot family, when his feet first hit the ground. As every parent, and I see lots of parents here, as every parent knows that the one most important thing that you do for your children is to give him or her a name, a given name, one that they will have for the rest of their lives. And it may have a particular meaning behind that word. It may be the name of a family member or a loved one that has passed away. It may be out of the popular list of baby names for that year. So have you ever thought about the significance or the meaning of your name? Does your name say something special about who you are? Or does it have a connection to someone in your family tree, for instance? My two given names, Frederick and Alan, are a very special gift to me. For I was named after my mother's two brothers who were at the time fighting in World War II somewhere in Europe at the very time of my birth. So I would like to do something like Pastor Mike has done. I'd like you to take a moment now and I want you to turn to someone around you and tell them something significant about your name. Will you do that for a moment, please? At the time of his birth, Simon Iscariot and his wife gave their son a very special name, Judas, the form of the Hebrew name Judah. And we've all heard that name Judah, which just happened to be one of the most honored historic names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was one of the best names that a Jewish boy could have been given at that time. The name Judas means Jehovah leads. Jehovah leads. And with that, I believe that his parents must have had great hopes for their son Judas to be led by God. And just like every other Jewish boy of his day, Judas was grounded in the Hebrew Scriptures and the Jewish culture of his day and rooted in the teachings of the Hebrew Bible or our Old Testament, one important cornerstone of the Hebrew Bible of, of Jewish faith was that all of the Jews were longing for God's Messiah to, to come as a human rescuer, one who would step onto the human stage and, re, and deliver Israel from the oppression of the Romans and reestablish the long-awaited Davidic kingdom to rule over Israel. In the cultural tradition of that time, Judas's surname Iscariot 
identifies what town or region that he was from. And his last name basically means man of Kerioth, which was a small farming community about about 23 miles south of Jerusalem. And I know there's a map that uh, James will put up. It's about 120 miles north to Galilee. So you see the distance from Kerioth. It probably doesn't even show Kerioth on there. But 23 miles south of Jerusalem, and it's about 120 miles from the town of Galilee up in the north. You see, Judas was the only non-Galilean in the group of 12. So wherever Judas met Jesus and made the decision to follow, I believe his commitment was just as real and sincere as the 11, and just as real and sincere as yours and mine is today. Like the rest of the disciples, Judas left everything to follow Jesus. And at the moment of his decision to follow Jesus, I don't think for a moment that Judas ever envisioned that he would betray Jesus. After all, he was given the treasured responsible position of being the keeper of the treasury for the group of 12. And along with the other 11, Judas was also given power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases and to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 1-6 records that commissioning moment. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake the dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. For three years, Judas saw the greatest life lived up close and personal. He was present when the fish and the bread were distributed to the 5,000 and again to the 4,000. Judas had a ringside seat to see the dead raised along with blinded eyes and deaf ears opened. He saw lepers healed, water turned to wine, and was present when Jesus calmed the storm. And he was in the boat when Jesus and Peter decided to take a walk on the water. You just can't have better evidence for faith than Judas had. Judas heard all the teachings of Jesus too. He heard the Sermon on the Mount. He knew there was a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. He heard the parable of the prodigal son. And he knew that there was a God waiting, even running down the road to welcome and forgive those who have wandered away and wasted their lives. So you would think, you would think with all of these advantages, all of these privileges, and all of the influences in his life, the story of Judas would have been told differently. 
This we can say with some certainty. Judas didn't become a traitor overnight. All 12 of the disciples, including Judas, entered the journey with Jesus, fully expecting Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would lead a military revolution to overthrow Rome and see the earthly kingdom established in Israel. And the truth is, the betrayer, the betrayer could have been any one of them. And as time went on, Judas was becoming increasingly disillusioned, impatient for the day when Jesus would declare himself to be God's Messiah. And eventually Judas thought that he had a better way than Jesus to bring about the kingdom and rid the world of the Romans. After three years in the company of Jesus, it's hard to believe how Judas could have been so close to Jesus and yet so far away. If we think about it for a moment, I think we could all know someone, maybe a family member or a friend, someone who once professed faith in Jesus Christ and today has fallen away from the faith. Maybe they're angry with God because of the death of a loved one. Or maybe they become disillusioned by the teachings of the church. Or maybe they've seen holy Christians on Sunday and unholy Christians on Monday. There's always something puzzling about a person who abandons the faith they once professed. So what happened to Judas? What would have brought Judas Iscariot to the point of betraying his Lord? How can one who was so close end up being so far away? Well, some people have said that Judas was a helpless pawn in the drama that led to Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. And throughout Scripture, we are told that God foreknew the course of Judas's life from even before he was born. In John chapter 6, verse 64, it would appear that Jesus knew the very from the very beginning who would betray him. But some of you, said Jesus, do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. And then again in the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, verse 21, it would appear again that Judas's betrayal was a fulfillment of Scripture. During my time here, said Jesus, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the Scriptures foretold. And then even after the events of Easter, the Apostle Peter stood before a large crowd in Jerusalem and made a similar declaration about Judas from Acts, 6, Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Brothers, he said, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, 
who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. So maybe, maybe at the end of the day, maybe all that Judas could say was, I can't help what I do. I can't help what I do. I was predestined to do it. This was God's plan for my life. So let me ask you, did Judas have no choice in the course marked out for him? Or was his betrayal of Jesus a matter of his own free will? God's foreknowledge of the course of our life is not the establishment of a predetermined life. For I believe that we are responsible for our actions. Life is made up of choices, and actions then flow from our choices, from the choices that we make. And we are responsible for our actions, and when it comes to the consequences of our actions, the Bible is very clear. A person reaps what he or she sows. An excellent crosswalk devotional put it this way. It's like when we play a game of cards. We get dealt a hand. And we have no control over the cards that we get dealt. But, but, we also get to play that hand. And ultimately, it's the combination of the hand that we're dealt and then the way that we play that hand that determines the outcome. Well, God deals us a hand, and there's nothing we can do to change that. But you and I, we get to play that hand. And I get to choose how I will respond to the events in my life. And certain actions will then flow from the choices that I make. Judas had free choice. But therein was his downfall. He simply made a series of bad decisions and the devil took it the opportunity. Judas chose his own agenda for following Jesus and allowed that agenda to dominate him. The great William Barclay once said, the real tragedy with Judas is that he refused to accept Jesus as he was and tried to make him what he wanted him to be. He thought that he knew better than God. And when that didn't happen, when his goals got blocked, Judas began to turn his frustration into sabotage. And in the end, Judas simply made the choice to love the world more than he would love God. He chose to allow that love of money to take root inside of his soul, choking out his faith in Jesus. As the scriptures say, love of money is the root of all evil. And when Judas chose to love money, he began to display contempt for the way that Jesus was running things. And it all came down to, the head, to a head in the home of Simon the leper. You might remember the story. 
from Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. And the disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. See, it was at that moment, at that moment of the disciples' disagreement with Jesus, that Judas proved to be out of touch with Jesus and his mission. And immediately after the dispute about pouring this jar of expensive oil on Jesus' head. Judas, who had already been stealing money from the common purse, showed whose side he was truly on. And in the dark of night, Judas silently slipped away, walked a quiet road back to Jerusalem, met with the chief priests, and made the, made the sinister deal to betray Jesus to his enemies for 30 pieces of silver and still hoping and still hoping that this would be the way for Jesus to rise up and be the long-awaited Jewish Messiah to overthrow the Romans. And perhaps, just perhaps, the most compelling opportunity for Judas to change course came the night when Jesus and the other disciples were all there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And with a detachment of soldiers and guards, we're told, numbering about 200, Judas walks up to Jesus and prepared to kiss him. And Jesus gave him one last opportunity to change. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man for a kiss? But let's not forget, earlier that same evening, after Judas had already received the 30 pieces of silver, Judas watched as Jesus washed his feet and they sat at the table with Jesus and the other 11 and broke bread together. And he heard Jesus say, very truly, one of you will betray me. My friends, multiple opportunities for change were given to Judas. But Judas ignored them all. The seed of betrayal had been planted and his mind was made up. His agenda was set. What Judas did that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did willingly 
and without coercion. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. Judas Iscariot was so close, yet so far away. Yes, yes, Judas messed up. In fact, every other disciple messed up. The betrayer could have been any one of them. For at the time of Jesus' arrest in the garden, Mark tells us all of them deserted Jesus and fled. And then later in the courtyard, while Jesus was on trial, Peter, the chief apostle, even denied knowing Jesus three times. And isn't that part of our story as well? If we are honest, we need to admit that we've messed it up too. I have many times. And like Judas, there have been times in life when we have betrayed or deserted Jesus for our own selfish ambitions and our own goals. As the Apostle Paul has said, we've all sinned, all of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. Or earlier the psalmist said, no one does good, not even one. But here's the tragedy for Judas from Matthew 25. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he repented and was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. And then Judas threw the 30 pieces of silver down on the temple floor and went out and hanged himself. Judas believed he had done something he could not live with. Something that could not possibly be forgiven by God, by the other eleven, or even by himself. And so he went out and committed suicide. He hung himself. And I believe that each and every disciple was at exactly the same point. In a place of no hope, with feelings of guilt, of remorse, and failure. And they may have had the same suicidal thoughts as Judas did, but with one important difference. They lived long enough to discover the truth of Jesus' redemptive love. They may have deserted and denied Jesus, but Jesus did not abandon them. The cross was not the end of their story. For three days later, they had a fresh new encounter with the risen Christ. And then according to John's Gospel, sometime later back in Galilee, back at the place where it all began, back at the seashore, 
they heard those familiar words from Jesus. Follow me. For their journey with Jesus was about to begin again. And you know the same can be true for you and me. For no matter how far we have wandered away, our journey with Jesus can begin again today. No matter how badly we've messed up as a follower of Jesus, remorse and shame doesn't have to be the end of our story. For unlike Judas, in our times and places of no hope, the cross is not the end of the story. The tomb is empty. God's redemptive love is closer than the air we breathe this morning. So my friends, let's, let's now forget what lies behind and turn our eyes toward Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Embrace his amazing grace today. For today, Today is a beginning of a new day. Thanks be to God. Amen.